0: Forfra and happy Martin Luther King Day. We are so glad that you are joining us virtually from wherever you are around the country or the world. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, just being frank and being honest, like it's this has been a hard season, right? This has been a hard time to be able to real uh, kind of have all this sort of trauma of the last couple of years come rising back up again and so many memories of of shutting down after thinking um that we were past this and so it's really hard so many of us want to be able to be around individuals um and whether that's in church or gatherings or work or whatever it may be uh this been a, it's been a hard beginning to another new year um and we've been looking for something different so i just want to name that that like i'm feeling that this morning it's hard I'm um, My heart is heavy, but I don't know, that Holy Spirit song actually, like, it just did something in me exactly what I needed. Um, and I was busy over here liking people's comments, and then all of a sudden was like, Josh, like, just take a moment and, like, let this song sink in. And I did, and um, I don't know, it did something for me, so I'm grateful for that this morning. So... Uh, this morning we are in our second week of our series in the season of epiphany in the church calendar and we're calling this forever forward and we're talking about how we can be good stewards of our time and our treasures and our talent. Uh, we figured at the start of a new year, the time a tax season when we're all thinking about money and finances and working on our budgets and new beginnings and perhaps pay raises or pay decreases or new jobs or no job, whatever it may be. Probably for many of us, this is on the top of our minds. And so as we start a new year, um, what are we want to talk about? About what are some tips on how we can steward our time and our treasure well um, so you know money is always a weird thing right to talk about in church it's a weird thing to talk about at the dinner table it's a weird thing to talk about on a date to ask somebody how much they make uh, money is a touchy topic but reality is that's a really important topic uh, the american institute of certified public accountants gave us these really crazy stats so 73 percent of couples cite finances as a source of tension in their marriage it's a huge number and the financial health network the leading nonprofit authority on financial health in the u.s uh, health reported that two-thirds of american households are struggling to spend save borrow and plan in healthy ways and 63 percent are literally just merely coping or sinking underneath the weight of their finances 68 percent of americans are don't have any budgeting or financial skills hearing those numbers um really jarred me and i realized that Beyond just like talking about what the Bible says about scripture, I thought we really just probably needed to like learn some practical skills of how we can budget and manage and handle our finances, as well as handle our time well, right? Because money is time. I am learning that living in this city that, you know what, like I spent like five hours trying to go to the grocery and commute and bring a cart and load all the food in and i was like i spent i just wasted so much time i could have been doing something else and so austin and i had a long conversation like okay maybe we need to actually explore this whole like food delivery thing like maybe this will actually save us time somebody said to me just the other week they said it was like this light bulb moment they said in the city Time is money instead of money being time. And I was like, that is so interesting to think about that shift that I've had to make from coming from someone who lives in the suburbs. And so some of us, I think we have to kind of think about these skills and the shifts and the ways these work, how we not just spend our money, but also how we spend our time because both are significant investments. Uh, another reason why I think it's important to talk about how we steward our time and our treasure today is because 11 out of 39 of Jesus's parables he either mentions money or he uses money as an illustration in his parables to help us kind of see like why we should value things that are val that reflect values of the kingdom of God so many of you are sharing several different values here in this live stream this morning appreciate you sharing those things um, because in many ways, we have to call and ask ourselves: Okay, are my values in alignment with with the kingdom of God? Do people is is like? Did Jesus value Popeyes? I don't know. I don't. Maybe Jesus did. That was a value that came out today. Um, maybe Jesus valued feeding hungry bellies, right? And for some people, those hungry bellies are craving Popeyes. So we can we can make our on our wayward journey towards that light. I I can see that this Epiphany, um, but reality is is that many of us, I think, need to remember that, that so much of Jesus's directions and leadings and promptings in so many ways, um, remind us of the value of money and the importance of money in each of our lives and how we spend our time. Um, so I know this, this pandemic for me, it's caused me to constantly reevaluate, like how do I spend my time and my treasure? before this pandemic started, I was on three boards in the middle of the pandemic. um, I got asked to serve on a fourth board. And on top of that, I was working full time. And honestly, I was on a lot of boards because I was single at the time before the pandemic. And so it was like, I didn't want my evenings to be free. I wanted to go out. I wanted to do something. I wanted to see people like maybe one evening a night watching Netflix was cool, but that was about the extent of it. And then I met my fiance, guess right, I'm engaged. Hey girl. Um, And I'm loving it because I have this person that I wanna spend a lot of my evenings with now. And about halfway through the pandemic, uh, we just really started talking about how my evenings were so full and we really didn't get to spend quality time together. And so I decided to reevaluate like how I was just spending my time and my treasure. It, it looks different now than it did before. And so I decided I was no longer gonna serve on all these boards. I said no to the one board. I resigned from two other boards and I was only on one board. Uh, Now I am on zero board since I moved. (laughs) But at the time, it was a real shift for me to realize like, okay, instead of spending every evening in board meetings, I am going to be spending a lot of my time now with this new person that I really love and I want to invest my time and energy But I don't also just want to like forget about the world and the ways I want to give back and invest in what's happening. So I still made time and space for that, but it no longer was the thing that dominated my time, right? I had to reevaluate. I also think about how before the pandemic, I could meet with like six people in one day and I probably would finish that day feeling completely energized still. Now, because of the pandemic and being distanced from people for so long, if I meet with more than three people, I come home utterly exhausted. Um, I'm having to rebuild like my relational emotional tolerance as well and so always having to reevaluate and reconsider like what we can do with our time and I talk to so many people who are always saying as we come out of this pandemic that it's been an opportunity for them to reevaluate where they want to give their money where they want to give their time how they want to use their energy um, because all of a sudden they realize what it was like to have so much time with their spouse what it was like to spend more time with their kids what it was like to just have an evening to like watch Netflix and chill and all the ways you want to interpret that reference it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to just be present to what what it is um, that maybe we need space to reevaluate. Um, as Forefront was beginning to sort of work on its budget for this 2022 year, uh, a great statement was made by Sue Ann. Um, she said, Where we put our dollars will reveal where, where our values or our priorities are. And that was how we came to the budget like okay as we look at what are the budget lines and what are the things we want to spend money on as a church where do we want to invest our finances that are being invested in us by those of you who call forefront home we, we had to ask like okay well wherever we put our money is likely where our priorities are so let's talk about that and what are our priorities and how do we want to invest our money well in the city and in the people that are here um during the pandemic we Uh, We know a a fund was established last year to be able to help people who were without jobs or couldn't afford food or were isolated and needed support in some way or needed help with their bills. And uh, many of you gave money above and beyond the tithe, above and beyond our our annual budget to be able to provide these needs. And we thank you so much. And those who needs were met. All that money was distributed and we are so grateful for that. Um, but as we began to write the budget this year, we, we were like, you know, what? let's let's not have to ask the congregation for more money to meet those needs. Let's put that in the budget. Like that should be a budget line that, like, just when people give to Forefront, a certain amount of that money is allocated, uh, 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 allocated, that's not the right word, allocated to uh, be able to provide support and care for people who are in need in our community. So this year in 2022, as you give to Forefront, to um, remember that you're also doing so to help and support people who are in need, who are still struggling um, to make ends meet and to make things work in 2022. So Sue Ann's comment about where our treasure is um, and where the monies that we put into certain budget lines and how we spend our money reveals our priorities. When she said that, you know, it just made natural sense that we would build that in the budget as a way to support and be there for people. But it also reminded me of Jesus's words, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? I mean, that's literally what Jesus said. Jesus said, where you spend your money, where you give up your time, that will reveal where your priorities were. That's what will pre- reveal what your values are basically in your heart. So Forefront, I want to invite us this morning to kind of take this journey um, to individually like sort of look this morning during this four-week series, but, but also this morning specifically at the start of this new year and evaluate where are we allocating our time and our money? Because I think it will likely reveal what our values and our priorities are. So let's sort of dig in. We're going to look at a few passages in Proverbs that give us wisdom. Um, Proverbs is called wisdom literature because it's typically truths that have been passed down from previous generations. Some of that oral tradition and then written down for us in Proverbs. But I think one of the things that's really important when studying like the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes is to know that wisdom literature is descriptive, not prescriptive. For instance, like, my grandma would always quote that passage that says, like, if you raise a child in the way they should go, when they get old, they will not depart from it. And she would, like, claim that. Like, God promised me that if I raise my child in the church, they will not depart from it. And whenever all four of her children stray, she just, like, remembers that passage and quotes it. And I have to remind her recently, Graham, you know, that is not like a prescription. That is just a description of how a lot of people experience the world at that time. That if they raise their kids in a certain way, their kids would reflect certain values in the world. But that isn't a a prescription that like, for sure, if you do this, this will happen. It's simply a description of the way in which people live in the world and the effects of it. And then they're sharing that wisdom through this book. So um, let's start with this. Uh, We're going to start in Proverbs 21, 20, and it says the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So uh, I want to propose to you a plan of how a way that you could handle your finances. This is one of many plans you could probably use, but this is a plan that I think seems very practical and helpful. It's called the 10-20-70 plan. So 70% of your income you use on basically living, right? Like you you, you use to uh, have your daily normal expenses, but also 70% of your time is often spent being able to make money so that you can live, right? And pay for your normal living expenses that you would spend on the rest of the time as well. And so this idea though, so many people, um, they don't spend 70% of their income just like on, their living expenses, they spend like 100%, right? Like nothing is, nothing goes to anything besides just like trying to stay above water. And for some people that's literally them just trying to stay above water. Like they literally live paycheck to paycheck. There's there's no, and there's like sort of like no short ends to cut or there, there's nothing that they could cut out. They just live very simply. And there's others of us, just spend almost all the 100% and we live much more luxuriously than we need to. We spend much more frivolously than we need to because we just think, well, I've got it now. I'm going to spend it, right? And we have a hard time holding it. Um, Some people are spenders naturally and some people are savers naturally. A lot of times if a spender and a saver get married or in a relationship begin to share finances, that can be a point of tension at times, but it can also be a gift and a moment for accountability and balance if we allow it to be. So 10 percent. So what about the 10 and the 20 percent? All right. So then let's think about 70 percent is what you live on. 10 percent of your income, you give away 10 percent of your time and your income. You give away um, generously in some way. Proverbs 11.25 says the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed and those who help others are helped. Now, remember, this is Prescriptive, not descriptive. This is not like, okay, if I give ten dollars, and that means I'm going to get ten, I'm going to get tenfold. I'm going to for sure get that back. Um, I think a lot of us, and for unfortunately, um, we're taught some I think truths about generosity that I think can actually be really harmful. For so many of us, we've come to understand tithe and giving to the church, um, helping others and giving to nonprofits as basically like a, a, a spiritual tax. That if I pay this. That I'll get it back at the end of the year, right? Like, like I'll somehow it'll get it'll return back to me, or I'll get blessed even more for doing that thing. And I don't think that's at all what the Old Testament or the New Testament present to us as the reason for giving. Um, it's definitely a very Western pro- um, prosperity gospel idea that if I give, I'll be blessed back. But I don't think that's actually really the reason that Jesus gives, or any of our any of our early Christian fathers and mothers give us for why we should give. They actually just tell us be generous and care for others because that's the right thing to do. And so those of us, our Jewish brothers and sisters who would give uh, a tithe to the temple, it was to care for the priests and the poor. That's why they gave. It wasn't because, oh, if we give, then it's you know we're gonna be blessed back even more. It was simply to care for the priests and the poor because the people had more and they had an extra they could give to be able to support the work of the world. And when there wasn't food, they would give the corners of their field. Why not? Because they would get a better, a bigger harvest. They simply had the same amount of field regardless. It was simply because the corners of their field were called. They were called to give to those on the margins, the 10% on the corners of the field. And I think charitable giving, though, if you think about it, it is it has increased. Um, actually, if you look at statistics, charitable giving has increased in our world, and our society, but but has actually decreased in the church. Did you catch that? Charitable giving has increased on social issues in the world, but charitable giving has decreased in the church as a whole. Why is that? I think it's because a lot of people are not interested in giving money to institutions like the church that are not holding up and that, or, or to support old institutions that are just propping them up that actually aren't being instruments of change, that aren't thinking about anything outside of themselves. Who wants to give money to institutions that aren't, aren't providing social change and support to people in the world? Who wants to give money to institutions that feel like they're just sort of hoarding it for themselves or using it to prop up their own power and privilege? Nobody wants to give to that people want to give to institutions and churches that are, are thinking about others right and are thinking and 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 have 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 the uh, the mind towards equity, right? And not towards just sort of hoarding the resources. During this pandemic, I actually changed the way in which I gave to some of my nonprofits. I watched some of the nonprofits that I give money to, and I realized, wow, during this pandemic, some of them were just hoarding the money instead of actually helping people who were in need. And I realized that those people were just living in a constant scarcity mindset instead of realizing that those monies that they were holding onto were preventing other people's needs from being met. And so there, during this pandemic, in many ways i chose to reshift and move around what organizations i was giving money to because of how they were responding during the pandemic i think it's important to stop and to think about the ways in which um we give to organizations and to ask are they bringing about change throughout history the church has been a huge instrument of social change. Our hospital system exists because of it. Orph- uh, orphan, those who who, who uh, are in the foster care and adoptive system, orphanages were created because of churches. And church has been a part of huge shifts and change in social structures throughout our history and our time. NAACP even has history and roots within the church. And Martin Luther King and the movement that, that brought equity into, into our world that we're celebrating today that in many ways did not just happen. People had to give their time and their talents to be able, and, and their resources and their treasures to be able to see those things happen. The church has been a huge part of that. But I think we have to sometimes look back and reevaluate and ask is the church that I'm giving, is the church that I'm a part of, is it being a part of change? Is it being a part of giving back to the world? And is it invested in the values that I believe? Or is it just simply hoarding its resources? Is it simply just looking inward and not outward? Is it simply offering only ministries that are in reach and not outreach? And so I think when we do that, I think we can feel better about knowing that we're giving to places that are valuable. The other thing I think is important to think about when you think about the 10% gift that we give in generosity, you don't have to think about it as just the church. Um, I for most of my life as a little kid I gave 10% when I turned 12 my parents taught me about giving 10% of my allowance and as I got older in my mid 20s I sort of started to feel convicted because I was like you know I could give more than 10% Um, I realized that I was putting a pretty significant amount of money towards other things that brought me joy and sometimes into savings and so I thought I really felt like maybe I need to move my giving into 15 or 20 percent. So I actually don't follow this math that I'm giving you today precisely, because for me, those numbers are a little bit higher. Um, And so I started giving 20 percent of my income away. And I realized that Part of the reason I wanted to do that was because I also want to be able to give to spaces that are not just the church. I think there are a lot of organizations and ways we can be generous in the world outside of just the institution of the church. And there are also ways we can be generous without giving to any institution or any nonprofit. We can just be generous as we come across people in our lives, folks on the street, folks that we encounter on the day-to-day that we can be generous towards. And for me, I know that there's a certain amount of my money that I can only spend on being generous instead of realizing, well, if I give you this much, then I'm taking a little bit away from what I want. No, I know that I've allocated a certain amount of money in my budget every year, but this has to go to someone else outside of myself. It has to go to expressions of generosity. So I encourage you to kind of think about that. Um, I've had to sort of look inward in my budget and delegate certain funds automatically because I know um, for me (laughs) that if I waited to the end of the month when I reconcile my budget and my books um, and I looked at what was left and then I just decided to be generous out of that, there honestly wouldn't be much left because I love clothes. And so I know that at the beginning of every month, I automatically have money withdrawn from my checking account and given to several different nonprofits including the church with reoccurring giving. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's something that you feel maybe that would be helpful for you and keep you accountable and help you manage and budget your money if you set up reoccurring gifts with the church or any other nonprofits you give because it immediately forces you to know that this money is like a bill, right? Um, This money I've delegated 10% or whatever that number is to be able to be generous to other places in the world to think outside of myself. And then you know what's left has other purposes and means. So I don't know, maybe that's something that will be helpful for you. It's been helpful for me. It's helped keep me accountable, but I also know that it helps nonprofits plan because they know how much money is scheduled to come in from month to month. So one other illustration in this area, and then we'll move on to that 20% and spend the rest of our time talking there. Um, one of the ways that I saw this really beautifully reflected in uh, one of the last churches that I served, served in was um, that there was this family in my last church that I went over to their house for dinner, and I sat down around this table, and right before we were about to eat, they pointed to this map that was on the wall, and we have a slide of that, so I'll share that with you now. And the map on the wall basically had all these little stickers on it. And you can see those stickers probably. And then over to the side, the right hand side, there's a list of all these all these organizations that they support, these nonprofits around the world and every dinner they sit down they acknowledge one of the nonprofits that they give to on the board and they pray for that organization and they remind their kids of the importance of giving back to that organization if they got a newsletter from that organization that's the time when they would read the newsletter at the dinner table the beauty of this illustration and why i think it's really important is because this family constantly was instilling in their children the importance to think and to remember people and organizations outside of themselves, to be people who are generous. So often when you do reoccurring giving or when you just give a check, you just sort of forget about it, right? It does become just like a bill and you become disconnected from it, right? Instead of being able to step back and remember the ways you're invested and the reminder that this family said, you know, we, we don't like pass plates at church. So our kids don't see us put money in. Our kids don't see us write checks to these organizations because they're on credit cards. The only way that our children would know that we were being generous towards these organizations if we intention- it was if we intentionally told them and we want to raise them to be intentionally generous with organizations as well. So there's something beautiful and amazing about this picture of intentional, uh, intentional generosity that quite frankly, I don't think that happens if unless we're intentional. So 70% of our income is spent, right? It is spent on just being able, uh, be able to live. 70% of our time is spent on being able to work and sort of the day to day normal routines and tasks we have to do to be able to bring a living in. 10% of our, of our living is and our time is given to generosity. So what happened to the other 20%, right? So the other 20% of our time they put into into long-term savings, um, which would be retirement and short-term savings emergency funds. So you could probably break that up. Like 10% a month you just put into a savings account and another 10% of the month you put into an emergency fund, right? Um, And so that way you're you're planning for both long-term retirement and short-term emergencies that might arise. 20% of your income to be able to sort of put that away and steward that well. But you can also think about it with your time. Spending 20% of your time investing in long-term relationships and yourself, whether that's going on dates, whether that's spending time with your spouse or person you're relationship with, whether that's spending time with your kids or friends, whether that's spending time with your parents, maybe we often forget to do that, whatever that may be. But to be able to say, I'm going to allocate 20% of my time to be able to spend time in long-term relationships and um, invest in those people in my life, but also I'm going to spend 20% of my time putting money away um, for future things that may come up retirement as well as emergencies that may rise. The Federal Reserve gave us this interesting statistic that 40 percent of Americans could not cover a $400 emergency without covering it with a card. That's a pretty high percentage and that's very very anxiety-ridden I can imagine to live in that state of just knowing if something that costs $400 happened I don't have no way to pay for it except for a credit card which is going to charge me interest and I don't know when I'm going to pay that off and it is this just sick cycle. Reality is, is I know that some of us watching this service this morning, like you do live paycheck to paycheck. The idea that you could give 10% away or the idea that you could put away 20%, you're, you're laughing literally. Or you're, Maybe you're ready to turn it off because you think I'm just speaking from this incredible point in place of privilege. And I, and I want to, you to hear me and to me to say this. You have to do what you have to do with what you have been given, right? And you're a wise steward of that. And this advice may never, ever be helpful to you um, until 20 years from now or 30 years from now, or, or maybe never, I don't know, um, or or it may be, um, or maybe as you hear this sermon today, you just need to think about the way you spend your time, and it's helpful, and maybe the financial side of this, you're like, that's just not where I'm at right now, or that's not where I can come to this from. I don't know where you're at, but just know that I acknowledge that, and I see that, and I've been there. Um, there have been seasons in my life when I have lived paycheck to paycheck, where it has been hard, um, where um, I had to take out loans for school and I was never really sure how I was going to pay it back. Um, and I remember when I took out a loan for school and how hard, how, how anxiety ridden it was because I knew that I did not have safety nets and systems to fall back on. There were people in my churches that were very generous towards me. Um, but I remember one particular semester when I was had a lot of anxiety about it. But there were different things that I did in certain seasons of my life when I didn't have savings to just bring in a little extra money. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes that also made the time balance that I suggested today of how I spend my time off as well. Uh, For instance, I did things like I drove for Uber. I found furniture left alongside dumpsters and I sold it on Facebook Marketplace. Also something I just started in my building because people leave treasures in this building all the time by the dumpsters. And I've been selling like crazy. Uh, yes, I'm, I, I'm sure there's plenty of amens out there. And the reality is is that uh, we're, we sometimes we do have to get creative, right? And sometimes we have to think outside the box. Another thing I did was I had all these books on my bookshelf. And so I sold them um, on Amazon. And that was a great way to make money. I also put posts out on Facebook. I was like, if anyone has books they want to get rid of, I'll come pick them up and I went, I picked them up, and I would sell people's sell people's books on Amazon and make a little extra money so that I could put something into savings to help myself feel a little better. I took up substitute teaching. Basically, all you need is a half degree to be able to do substitute teaching, and you can teach, and it makes pretty good money, and you have super flexibility to choose when in your schedule you're available and able to do that. Super helpful. Also, I did Airbnb. I rented out one of my rooms. Now I'm renting out uh, my, a whole home in Peoria, but before that, it was just a lower level. Just sometimes you got to get creative, right? And and that that can be hard and it can sometimes cause more stress and difficulty. Um, But I did these for seasons of my life until I was able to put a little savings away and then I could take a breath. And so sometimes just doing these little tricks and things on the side are fun and creative to sort of help folks kind of create that extra margin that sometimes we're looking for and needing. So I'm asking you, how do you spend a majority of your leftover money? Um, if you don't have leftover money, I, I hear you, I, I see you, I understand, but for those of us who do have leftover money, I want us to sort of ask a question, like how do we spend, over, spend our leftover living expenses? Um, I am a sucker for a sale and I've come to realize that when I go into a store, if something is on sale and price low, even if I'm not in love with it, I'm like, I have to get it, like it's a deal, like what if I don't see this again? And I've had to come to realize that I, that can Not be the criteria by which I decide if I'm going to buy something or not. Especially now that I have a New York apartment, it doesn't work that way. I also realize that there are certain things that tempt me and draw me in super quickly. Um, Like, for instance, like all those texts that get sent to our phones about, like, oh, here's this flash sale. And so, I've learned that if you hit, if you just text "stop" to those texts, they will stop. So, there's some hints to you if that's what you need in your life. If you scroll all the way down in size two font, you'll see the button "unsubscribe" at the bottom of emails you can hit unsubscribe. These are things that have helped me eliminate the temptations of how sometimes I overspend my extra living expenses and sometimes can be temptations from helping me actually meet these goals. I have a family member who told me during Christmas time that they have had a year long subscription to a popular fitness facility and they've never gone once. And I was like, well, why, why are you not going in and like canceling that or like, well, I called and they said I have to physically come in to cancel the subscription. And I said, like, well, then physically go in and cancel the subscription. And she's like, oh, I just haven't made it a priority. And I was like, that needs to be a priority, right? And like that that's an area where, where you could totally cut some margin and you could have some extra resources. But also I couldn't help but stop and think about how that popular fitness facility, they knew that people would not come in to cancel it. And so that's how much so much of their business model was being able to be built on. Because they know that some of us just will not take the time to be able to preserve our treasure and resources in that way, sometimes. But sometimes it's just those simple hacks that can simply help us create just a little bit more margin in our schedule, in our in our in our schedules as well as with our resources. So, uh, some practical resources as we wrap up the message that I want to give you. There's a link in uh, that's going to be put into the feed here um, of a, basically a bunch of sort of like worksheets that you could download if you want. If you have no idea how to budget, if you have no idea what you're spending all of your money on or where it's going, if you have student debt and you're not sure how to use it uh, or how to get rid of it or what to do with it, if you have um, issues with cash flow and not really sure, like you get a paycheck or by the time you get a paycheck, it seems that all your money's gone and you're really not sure how to balance all that. There's some really helpful documents and worksheets in this link that you can download that will help you walk through sort of how to develop and sort of hone and keep accountability to some of these skills. So I hope that's helpful to you. Um, I'm glad to also give you wisdom and to point you in the direction of some great financial advisors as well, if that's at all helpful to you as you're trying to figure out like, oh, that sounds nice in theory, but like how do I do that? Um, So as we bring a close to this message, I want to ask you a few questions to sort of think about. When you think about how you use your money and time, um, ask the question, sort of, what really matters to you, right? Back to the beginning question, like where your where your treasure is is where your heart is. So as you begin to do work on these worksheets or look at these resources and how you spend your money, look at where you're spending your money. This is it probably kind of revealing where your heart is, right? Um, and then also review, ask, is the way I'm spending my money actually reflective of the things that matter to me and to my values? And if not, reassess. Do what we talked about at the beginning of this message. Move some things around on how you spend your money, how you spend your time, to make sure that the way you're spending your money and the way you're spending your time truly reflect your values and your purpose. Because if you do that, I think you'll have less regret. I think if you do that, you will experience this joy and this sort of blessing and abundance that Proverbs talks about. You you, You will experience this sense of peace to know that you are stewarding your time and your treasure well. So when I evaluate how I spend my money and time, I often find areas... Um, where I need to guard my treasure more. And so I have to give it give it to purposes that I, that really I value. And so I do that every year. I evaluate. I look, i I assess how much money I'm spending in different areas. As close to this final story about a man at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City uh, who made a commitment that I really kind of caught me and made me kind of have a check in my spirit, if you know, that old term. And really, it was kind of this fascinating thing where he talked about how he was very wealthy, He was very comfortable. He had a lot of extra finances, and, Um, He could afford a lot of luxuries and he decided that he wanted to buy a new car and it was going to cost him a lot of money. But he decided that he wanted to make sure that buying that car wasn't more of a value to him than caring for those who were in need. And so he made a commitment that he would never spend more on a car than what he gave to charities, than what he gave the nonprofits and those who were caring in need. So that he would make sure that one value would never trump, trump the other. And to me, that is such a a convicting reminder that when I look at the things that I spend a majority of my extra money and spending resources on, to ask myself, am I willing to also give that same amount to the places and spaces that I believe in deeply need to be made whole and better and more complete in the world? And so I hope that as you think about this message, um, the 70-20-10 rule, may you consider that as a method, or may you just consider the ways in which God may be calling you to reorient the way in which you handle your money and your time so that we can be people who, when we reach the end of our lives, can take a deep breath and be grateful for the way that we spent our time and our treasure.